word that we've already enjoyed today. We thank you for the, the believers gathering and ministering to one another. We thank you, Father, for this, uh, we call a common salvation, but it's not common in the sense that it's low or uh, used in a, in a, in a, uh, in a negative sense. It's common in the sense that we share these things in common. We have the same salvation. We are all elect before the foundation of the world. We're all called to into Christ at a point in time. We're all saved. We're all forgiven. We're all righteous at your right hand. All those that believe. So, Father, as we come to you today and we think of these things and we come to your word, we ask that we come with a, a right thinking that we might uh, take a seriousness when it comes to looking at your word, that it really is uh, some of your mind, but it's a part of your mind that you want us to know. You've revealed some of your thoughts, and it's important. It's thoughts that would cause us to grow. It's thoughts that would cause us to be rounded out to the things that you've planned for us. So we ask, Father, that we would come to these things in an honoring way to you, recognizing that this is your breath. This is your word, that we might be molded by it, that we might be changed from the inside out as we relate to it, as we think about it, as the Holy Spirit works upon us, changing us from glory to glory. Father, we ask as we come to your word again, that we come with a heart ready to learn, that we'd come with our eyes open, our ears open. I ask for myself for conciseness of speech that I might communicate your word in a way that would also reflect the after. Amen. All right, we're looking at positional truth. Uh, as we've stated before, this started in Ephesians and we're back in Ephesians. Um, today we'll go a little off of that. We'll review a little bit and we'll have a little bit planned special for today. Um, in the book of Ephesians, many people have done this before. This isn't anything I came up with. Pretty much all my messages aren't anything I came up with because it comes from God's word. There's nothing new about it. It's uh, been around for 2,000 years. So we turn to the book of Ephesians. I don't know if I'll actually read a particular verse here because I'm going to review a little bit. But if I, I want it there so that if I want to refer to something, I can quickly get there because you all know i'm kind of challenged in the turning of the pages <laughs> i don't know if you can say i got hands they're more like clubs <laughs> um but many people have come to this book and they've said the first three chapters are all about who you are in christ and nothing about your responsibilities and then they'll say on the other side of it Chapters four through six are all about your response, your about what you're to do. So the first three chapters all telling about who you are. The second three chapters about now how do you live based on that. Um, so we've been counting up positional truths about who the Christian is. Ephesians really is one of the best books to come to because there's a lot of them. There really is. It's true. Um, so. Uh, we would say, number one, I have a position in Christ. Number two, I'm accepted in the beloved. You, you, I, these, this should come to your mind, and these maybe verses are coming into your mind as we state these things. Um, 
Verse 3, I am blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. It's not something that you got to earn to get or something you got to achieve as a Christian. It's true of you if you're a Christian. That's what most people don't get. People say, be blessed. I'm already blessed. I'm already blessed. I can't be blessed anymore. I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings. I'm chosen in Christ. I have redemption in Christ. Verse 7. I have forgiveness in Christ. Verse 7. I am an inherent. I am an inheritance in Christ. 111. Number 8. I am sealed in Christ. 113. Verses 15 through 23. That is a prayer of Paul. It's all about the fact that we have a position in Christ that, well, three things he asked for, that they would know what is the hope of his calling, that they would know what the riches from the glory of our inheritance, and number three, that they would know what is the power. All those, every one of those relates to our position in Christ. So he's basically praying, after stating in the first, what, 15 verses, uh, eight different items about positional truth. Now he says, I'm praying about the Ephesians. This is true about them. Now I want them to be able to utilize that so they would know what is the hope from this calling. That they would know what the riches are. The resources that they can use from this opinion of God and his opinion of us. And how that's supposed to be lived out in your life. And that you would know what is this power that comes from living in Christ that is available to the Christian. The same power that rose Christ from the grave is available to the Christian in your Christian life. Not, as Tim was saying, so you can run around the racetrack, but so that you can accomplish those things that God has planned for you. It's a mental power. Okay. Number nine, I am made alive together with Christ, Ephesians 2, 5. We're seated together in the heavenlies, 2, 6. We're raised up with Christ, 2, 6. We're the object of the riches of God's grace and kindness into the coming ages. I am created in Christ Jesus unto previously prepared good works that I should walk in them. Number 14, I am made near to God in Christ, which is the basis for access. I am part of the new man in Christ, where there is equal access to God on the basis of peace. I am part of the body of Christ. I am part of a building of God in Christ, 221. It's a household. It's a foundation from the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the capstone. We also know he's the foundation. Yeah, go to other verses. But it's a building that is growing into a holy temple. It's also being co-built into a permanent dwelling place of God in the future. These are all relating to positional truth. And then in chapter 3, I am a joint heir and of a joint body and a joint share of the promise in Christ. Number 19, in Christ I am an instrument to teach spirit beings about the wisdom of God. In Christ I am an instrument, oh, I already said that. Oh no, no. I mean, it's to bring glory to God. Now, and there was a slight change. 
to bring glory to God now into the future. That's 3, 18 through 21. We had two more, number 21. In Christ, I am light in the Lord. That's Ephesians 5, 8. And in Christ, I can be empowered mentally. Ephesians 6, 10. Now, again, you can go through all those things, and I'm telling you, it's not like these things aren't known by theologians. You can open up almost any uh, Bible, they call it a dictionary, Bible dictionary that goes through and outlines each book. Not a Bible dictionary. Introduction. Introduction to the New Testament. And they'll have a, a they'll take the book, they'll go Corinthians, and they'll They'll kind of break it down in the obvious breakdowns and they'll say it's about Paul was written this year. It was written this year and he was facing these issues. And then they have a little breakdown of how the book blows out. So the idea that Paul talks about these isn't anything that is groundbreaking. People recognize this. It's now what is the purpose of that? How do we take that information and how is it supposed to impact us? Right? That's the thing. But first of all, it won't impact you if you're not a believer. Right? It has no value to you if you're not a believer. No value. Zero. So we turn to 1 Corinthians 15. I think of this uh, as we were at the wedding yesterday and the messages going forth. And some of the message was like, oh, that's really good. And oh boy, that was horrible. And that was good. And oh man, that was horrible. I think you do want to yell Don't remember that part. <laughs> um, it was funny when we claimed to have the same thing a year ago, they would ask something and they wanted him to say yes, and he's like, yes. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I don't know if that was a Freudian slip or not, but. Um, you come here to 1 Corinthians 15, and you have the gospel. And as Tim mentioned earlier today, you know, you hope that there's believers, you know, all over Royal City. You hope that. You, we don't, we're not against that. We want that. You know, and is there believers possibly in the Catholic Church? Yes, that's possible. But there are believers in spite of the doctrine, right? And could there be believers in a Mormon church? Sure, it's possible. Sure, it's possible. But it's in spite of the doctrine, right? If they believe strictly what their church teaches, there's no way they're saved. Because they're teaching things that are against the scriptures and against God. We come here to 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, through which also ye are being saved, since ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. So it's possible... To believe in vain. It's possible to believe in vain. What does that mean? It means that you believe, but you didn't believe for a purpose. Okay, there's people that, that will talk about Jesus Christ. And this is no surprise. We can see this all through the New Testament. People talk about Jesus Christ. People talk about Jesus Christ today. 
Look at all the religions of the world today that are called Christian. And yet they deny who Jesus Christ is. They'll say, oh yeah, Jesus Christ, wonderful, 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 wonderful. But they deny that he's God. They deny that he died for sin and for their sins. They'll, they'll, they'll change it. They do not believe he died in your place because you're a sinner. They'll, they'll say, oh, he died and he suffered. And he was an example of suffering so that we be people that sacrifice for other people. No, that's not it. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that you're going to hell because you're a sinner. And Jesus Christ died in your place. That's good news. But that death did not hold him down. He was victorious over that death. That payment for your sin was enough. And him rising from the grave shows that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that for yourself? Do you believe that your sins can be forgiven? That you can be saved? Only based on that and nothing else. Now somebody can look you right in the face and if they say, go like this, or they say yes, or they raise their hand and say, I want to pray a prayer, or they say, I want to walk to the front, that surely means they truly believe it, right? <laughs> it may or may not. It may or may not. Okay? We don't know. We don't know. That's something God knows. That very moment they believe or say they believe, there might be something else in their mind that they're adding that you didn't say. What that scripture didn't say. What's the most common one? Probably baptism, right? I believe that and I got baptized. I got baptized. Now, does water baptism save? Nope. Turn to first Peter. We read in verse 21. 1 Peter 1. 3, 21. It says the like figure, speaking of the water from the flood, wherein to even baptism does also now, also now save us or delivering us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. You see that? Water baptism does not put away the filth of the flesh. It says it right there in plain English. So water baptism cannot save. It says it right there. So if that's something a person was counting on or adding to the gospel, they just invalidated the gospel. They just believed in vain if they did that. Because it does not... Water baptism. Why doesn't water baptism save you? Because it's a work. Turn to Romans 4. Romans 4. We read unto verse. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 4, now to him that 
worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. How many of you, when you get paid after one or two weeks or a month, do you go, that was sure gracious of my boss? <laughs> that was a spitting example. No, you think about all the time you put in. You think about the sacrifice. Yeah, I wasn't at home with my family. I was doing something I didn't want to do. It's called a job. So I could get money to pay my bills, right? That's what a job is. If it was fun, you would pay to do it, right? You, anyway, work and reward, work and reward. It's not a bad thing. It's a real concept that people need to learn in this life, isn't it? But when it comes to salvation, you can't earn it. Verse 5, but to him that works not, this is the, one of the best places where it's good to not be working. Okay? But to him that worketh not, but believes on him that declares righteous the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So believe, you don't realize this, but believe and faith are the same word. One is the verb, one is the noun. His, what faith? His belief. The one that believes on him that declares righteous the ungodly. I don't declare, when somebody says, I'm righteous because I got baptized, who's doing the declaring? They are. I'm doing the declaring. I'm righteous because I walked the aisle. I'm righteous because I, I, I'm righteous because my parents took me to Sunday school. I'm righteous because I come from a Christian family. I'm righteous. Who's doing the declaring? The individual. This says the one that is righteous is the one who believes in the one who declares righteous. See? I'm not believing in myself. And that's essentially what people do when they don't believe in solely in the work of Christ for their salvation. It's a slap in the face of God. They're trying to take the work that only God does. Okay. You ever find it offensive when somebody tries to take credit for your work? Is that offensive? God calls it believing in vain. Believing in vain. They're believing in something. They got faith. So faith, having faith ain't no big thing. What are you having faith in? What are you having faith in? Turn to Ephesians 2. I know this is all review for all of us, but it doesn't hurt to review these things over and over and over and over. Ephesians 2. We read, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The whole thing. You're saved by grace through faith. The whole thing is a gift from God. Works have nothing to do with it. Work has nothing to do with it. Personal work. Who's, who gets the boast? Lest any man should boast. Not of works, lest any man should boast, verse 9. It's God's work. 
It's his work. Right? Now, the person believes that, and now everyone here, I would trust, has believed that. So we enter into a new relationship with God. We're changed from being condemned in Adam, going to hell, to being not condemned in Christ, to forever be with Christ at some point. Our complete identity and the plan for our lives has changed. Okay. And so we have this whole new relationship to God because we're at his right hand. We're, we're immersed into Christ. We're baptized into Christ. That's positionally not water baptism. We're put into Christ by the Holy Spirit. The moment we believe the gospel, whether you knew about it or not, it's not something you feel. It's not an experiential event. We know about it by revelation, by reading the Bible. Now, what's interesting about this is the first things you should learn about your positional about your position in Christ is literally relates back to salvation. Turn to Romans six. So it doesn't always happen this way, but it really is so basic that if you go back to the elements of the gospel of salvation, those same elements are critical to the Christian life. So is it so complicated? I was saved for this long and I didn't know this. It's so simple. It's us that makes it complicated and get things messed up. Romans 6, we can read in verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into his into that death, that like is Christ. Let's read back up in verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. So what did Christ do? He died for our sins. This, when we're immersed into him, at his right hand, we're counted to have participated in his death. Did you know that? We are counted to have died in Christ through the person of our substitute. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into that death, that like as Christ was raised up from dead ones, by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So you have the death, burial, and resurrection. The three elements of the gospel. Only thing it doesn't have here is the promise that your sins will be forgiven and that you'll be saved. But the purpose here isn't to tell you how to be saved. It's, tell you, it's to tell you where your thought process is to go so you can have freedom from the sin nature. Not just freedom from the penalty of sin, but now it's telling you how to have freedom from the power of sin. That present tense salvation, not just past tense salvation. Now, if you jump over to Ephesians 2, we've hit this also in the book of Ephesians.
Ephesians 2, we read verse 4. Some of our favorite verses are where it says, but God, right? If you read before those verses, you have a hopeless situation. A hopeless situation. But God, who is rich in mercy. Now, before we read this, what is that hopeless situation? If you go look back, let's just read it. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Well, that's not very bad, that big a deal. No, this is painting a bleak picture. You, you Ephesians, before you were saved, you were dead in trespasses and sins. This is talking about how their, their status with God before they got saved. You were dead to God. You were separated from God. Spiritually. And then you go, but is that enough? Is that all this has here? Or does the, the, the situation get even more scary? Have you ever seen those movies where it paints a, a bleak picture and then it gets 10 times worse? Have you ever seen that? Dun, dun, dun. Okay, that's what happens here. Because not only are you individually dead, but now it's going to paint a picture where you have a supernatural being that is pulling the strings all around you to control the circumstances so that you would never even have a care about God. You are willingly doing the wrong things. Willingly. Ignorantly. And have no, there, there ain't anybody going, oh God, God, are you out there? I want to know you. There's none of that. People claim theirs, but I'm here to tell you, they ain't. Did that just grind on some people's ears? But <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you'll remember that. That was done on purpose. Where in times past you walked according to the age of this world. No, 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 Paul. No, I was, I was in, the, in Ephesus, and I was going to the temple of Diana, and I thought about God all the time. Right? When I was a kid, I was going to, I sat on my daddy's lap and listened to the Bible message. And I, they said to be a good boy. And I was a good boy. No, this says you walked according to the age of this world. That's not a good thing. It's an evil age. It's an evil age. Malignantly evil. And that's what all humanity walked, all the dead. The walking dead do. They're walking according to the age of this world. I don't know if that phrase is trademarked. Am I going to be in trouble? <laughs> according to the prince of the power of the air. That's a good thing, right? No, that's a bad thing. That's talking about Satan. He's the one that has usurped Adam's authority. He is in charge as far as this atmosphere extends. Satan used to rule on planet Earth. He sinned. He tried to move his throne from planet Earth to the other parts of the north. And God punished him for that. He kicked him out of his kingdom. And he put a flood upon the Earth. And that's where we find the Earth in Genesis 1. Remember that? Remember that? 
And then God decides to rehabilitate the earth. And he makes it habitable, uh, habitable again. And he makes a place where there was a garden. And he puts Adam on it and says, Adam, you're going to rule here. And Satan has to see this inferior created being ruling from the place that he had ruled. And it was a green place, not a rock garden. I like, I like green gardens better than rock gardens. You? Yeah. Satan takes Adam down, right? Adam falls. Eve with him. And Satan now usurps that authority. He sets up the world system and he world he has a throne on this earth. Scripture talks about it. It's a throne that can move. One time it was in Pergamos. It's, it's somewhere here on this earth. I don't know where. Okay. Some people theorize, oh, it's New York City. Oh, it's Washington, DC. No, it's LA. where? LA. <laughs> where is it? I don't know. Is it the UN? I don't know. Who cares? But Satan's doing what he's doing from wherever he's doing it. And he organizes the masses of humanity and all this baloney going on all around us. It keeps the unsaved going about their lives, trying to improve themselves and trying to be good apart from God. And do Christians get caught up in that? Do Christians get caught up where they're trying to be good too? But and they're not really being empowered by God. They're just doing it through their own flesh. Does that happen? Sure it does. <clears throat> That's Paul's point here. He's saying, this is what you used to be. You're not anymore. And now you can be different. He says, among whom also, verse 3, we all had our conduct in times past by the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the thoughts. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as the rest. In other words, we're no better than the rest. Those that are still unsaved. Verse 4. But God. Those are those precious words. But God. Now it's no longer a depressing, hopeless situation. Now the light shines through. Have you ever been in a dark tunnel and it just keeps going and going and going and you can't see uh, the end of the tunnel? Then boom, you see the end of the tunnel and there's a little shred of light. How joyous is that light? Okay. But God, who is rich in mercy. I love that. I love that statement. He's not stingy in mercy. He's rich. It's not limited resource. He's rich. How rich of mercy is it? It's infinite because he is infinite. He's rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us. I don't believe this is going back necessarily to the work of the cross. Okay. When he died on the cross, it tells us Christ was loving the Father. He was obedient to the command of the Father. Right. Most of the statements about Christ loving the church have to do with the fact that right now 
he is dedicated to the church right now and he's living for the church he's interceding for it those are what most of those statements in reference to the love of christ here you have god loving us uh, so you also the aspect of the father loving us okay? and you can break those different concepts out even while we were dead by trespasses have made us alive together with christ by grace ye are saved. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Okay, so what do we have here? We were dead by sins, but he made us alive together with Christ. And then he has raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenlies. That significance of sitting at the Father's right hand. We've done this before. We're not going to do it today. There's actually was a verbal discussion between the Father and the Son. When Christ rose on high, he rises beyond the heavens and he comes back showing all that shows that him taking on the sins of the world did not change his deity one bit. But it, having been resurrected as a man, he comes, he sits at the Father. He comes, and he doesn't just sit down. He doesn't come in and says, where's my seat? I'm worn out. I'm tired. I'm sitting down. He didn't just do that. The Father says, sit. The Father, it tells us that. The Father says, sit at my right hand, and until I make your enemies your footstool. The Father, and what does that signify? It signifies that the payment was he was satisfied. He didn't say, nope, the work's not done. That's what we do down here. When you tell somebody to do work and it doesn't get done, you say, I just checked your work and it doesn't look like it did. It needs to be done again. Everybody, anybody seen that? Whether you have kids or you have employees or, or uh, maybe it's the wife telling the husband to do something or I don't know. Uh, this didn't quite get done. Can you go finish this instead of watching TV? Is that, is that ever a discussion that everyone's having? Um, but that's not what happened. The father said sit, and the son sat. Because the work was done. There's no more work to do. The work is done. In regard to our salvation. And we are seated in him. And all of that is the basis of the faith rest life over in Hebrews 4. That is the that is the prerequisite for understanding the faith rest life. I don't have to work to God, get God's approval. I don't have to strive to get God's approval. So, Josh, what are you saying? You don't do anything? You don't do anything? Well, that's not what we're saying. That's not what we're saying. But my reason for doing things is different. My reason for doing things is different. That change of attitude can change your activity from being something that is wood, hay, and stubble to being precious and rewardable. Right? Not for me to judge, but our Lord will judge it. Our Lord, Lord, our Lord will judge that. Turn to Colossians 3. So Colossians 3 is really where the rubber meets the road. 
because it really tells us how to utilize this positional truth. It tells us how to utilize it. Let us not be those that know about positional truth, but don't put the correct emphasis on it. Read in verse one, since ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things above. Now, I don't know if Tim was thinking about this at all, but I thought about it today as he's doing his message and he's thinking about, you know, the, you've heard of it said before. What did we hear about this morning about they, they were to seek the Lord? And I told you about how today no one seeks God. But back in the Old Testament, they could seek God because what did that mean to seek God? Well, it meant that you you sit in your room, you get on your knees, and you and you just yearn. You yearn. You yearn. God, God. What? I don't know. What does it mean? You, you go to church and hold your hands in a certain way? Does it mean, what does that mean to seek the Lord? Well, in the Old Testament, it meant something. It meant go to where God was. He could be found at the temple. That's what it meant to seek the Lord. Everyone, you, and you can document that through the Old Testament. It meant to go to Jerusalem, go to where God was. That's what it meant. Number one, we can't seek the Lord today because you can't find him here. He does not physically live here. The Holy Spirit lives inside believers. But God the Father is up there at the right hand. Oh, not the right hand. He is at the, on the throne. The Son is at the right hand. The Holy Spirit is resident down here in believers. We don't seek the Lord today. But what are we to seek? This tells you what to seek today. We're to seek something. This seek is an interesting. It, it's used in places where you're you're looking for treasure. You know, it's not just like a cursory. Oh God, I'm driving down the road and I'm looking out and. I happen to notice a nice tree over there. That's nice. I'll look at that for a second. And I'll look over there. And over there I see a road that goes off in a direction. I don't know where that road goes. Yeah, It's not lackadaisical. It's like focus. What is this? Where is it? What does it mean? That's what this seek is. We're to seek these things. Seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Now, what activity do you do to seek these things that are above? Do you go there? Do you have to go up to heaven to seek these things? No, because you can't. Okay? I know they're getting spaceships. They were just talking about how that guy that... Uh, Who's that billionaire? Branson. Branson, yeah. He just went up into space. Okay. But they're just barely going into space, you guys. I mean, that's amazing. It is. But we're talking about going to the third heaven. Outside of space. Past space. That's where the right hand is. So you can't physically go and seek these things out. Where do we find these things? We find them right here in our New Testament. That's where we find them. We find these things in the New Testament. We've been doing that as we've been doing this study. That's what seeking is. We're to seek these things. Now, really, if you've sought, done this study before, and I know we have because I've sat in those studies, 
where you seek those things about where we sit at the Father's right hand, where are they found in the New Testament. I've sat in those studies before, and I've, I've been a part of that. You don't have to keep seeking them once you know where they are. Although it is a lifelong study because you might find some new ones that you didn't realize were there. But once you've sought them out, what do you do with them then? You set your mind to them, and that's what it says here. Set your, not affection, but your reflective thinking on things above, not on things on the earth. So reflective thinking is a restrictive thinking. It keeps things in, it keeps things out. If I'm thinking about who I am in Christ and something comes in that says, no, Josh, this is who you are. I'll say, no, that's not who I am. I'm not going to have an identity crisis right now. And that's essentially what happens when you're, a lust comes from one of your spiritual enemies. That's an identity crisis. We don't defend it by saying, that's, we don't defend it by saying, no, I'm not supposed to do that. That's the wrong defense. You're going to end up doing it if you do that. We defend it by saying, implementing with these ways of escape that God has outlined, you defend it by saying, that's not who I am. In regard to the sin nature, I am in Christ dead to the sin. I'm not still alive to the sin nature. I'm dead to the sin nature. That's my identity. And I'm alive unto God in Christ. When it comes to Satan, we are empowered in the Lord. I am helpless before a supernatural being. But if I put on God's supernatural way of escape, I can withstand his wiles, his methodology. I can get my mind right. And that all begins with positional truth. And it's the same with the world system. You remind yourself who you are in Christ, and then it's implemented in a, in a specific way in regard to that spiritual enemy. Back here, verse three, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. You guys can, you guys know what all of it is. And covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye are also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, some of you might say, oh, no, it is just a bunch of rules here to do. No. When you put off the old man, that's talking about that character, that new identity that you have. You have Christ's identity. He is your garment that you put on. And you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there cannot be Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore put on as the chosen of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. All this comes after You've believed the gospel. It comes after 
you've sought these things out about who you are in Christ. It comes after you've set your mind on things above. And now you have access to these traits and you can utilize them in your life right now. See? So this, I mean, how important is that to the Christian life? It's indispensable. It's critical. Without it, it's a way, everything else is a waste of time. You're just doing fancy dribbling. Anybody know, understand that analogy? You know, you, you got people that can dribble really good the, the basketball, okay? But if you have a good defender, it just goes like this, and you take the ball away. And that fancy dribbling did nothing. They're in place, just bouncing around. I didn't get them a point. Without points, you don't win. Fancy dribbling is just that. Fancy you go, wow, you're a good ball handler. But it didn't move anything forward. Waste of time. Waste of time. And so somebody that's just doing it through their own strength, yeah, that looks nice, but there's no substance. No substance. What are we doing? What are we doing? We want substance. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3. And this was referred to earlier today also. So the, the, the Christian, the correct Christian life is really simple. It's really simple. It's the outworking of who you are in Christ and who you are down here as God's child. That's the Christian life. That's the normal Christian life. It's living out the relationships that God has initiated and started in your life. It's, it's living them out as you're related to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because they indwell you and you are in them. That's the normal Christian life. And how is that, how do you, what is your responsibility for that? To, it's sending your mind to things above. It's living in Christ. It's honoring his word by taking his methodology for living out eternal life. That's what godliness is. You honor God by living out his methodology for the Christian life. Not some substitute methodology for being good. Okay. And you see that in 2 Timothy 3 in verse 12. It says, yes, and all that determine, not determine, it doesn't say determine. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's the promise. In contrast to that, what do you have? What's in contrast to living godly in Christ Jesus? You have all those that desire to honor God by insulting him. That's the form of godliness that they have. Would they say that? Would, they, would that be their verbiage? Today we're going to have a message about insulting God by trying to be godly through our own strength. Anybody heard that one yet? But that's what many of the messages are. That's what many of the messages are. We're now going to insult God because we're going to teach you how to, through your own strength, try to be a good person. We're going to teach you in 10 lessons how to be a loving. We're going to teach you 10 steps of how to have peace in your life. That's what it is. 
red flags should go up. Oh, I didn't hear about how we're empowered in Christ. I didn't hear about the fact that I have a position in Christ. I didn't have anything that said I'm supposed to set my mind to those things above. And I had, saw nothing about the, how the spirit would produce the fruit of the spirit in my life. That's all God. And what they're saying is all me. You see any parallel between those that teach a false gospel between those that teach a false gospel for present tense salvation they have their substitutes they have their their counterfeits so we jump back over to verse one this know also that in last days perilous times shall come for men shall be fond of their own selves fond of money boasters arrogant blasphemers disobedient to parents unthankful unholy without natural affection, truce breakers, false accuser, incontinent, fierce, not fond of those that are good, traitors, heady, puffed up, fond of pleasures more than fond of God, having, and you think, boy, these are horrible, evil people. But what does it say? In verse 5, it really takes a complete about face here, doesn't it? Having a form of godliness. That didn't sound like godliness at all. Let me put something forth to you. What we often see in this world, we would, what we would often attribute as, man, they're good people. They're really righteous. It's often this. It's often this. But this is God's estimate of it. This is God's estimate of it when it's not the right godliness. When it's living by a form of godliness that isn't the true godliness, which is what? Living in Christ and honoring his way of the Christian life, which is him empowering you through you setting your mind on things above and in the spirit fulfilling the promise of producing fruit when you set your mind on things above. That is the correct method of the Christian life. And when people subvert it with some other methodology, it is a form of godliness. It's not the real. And there'll be no persecution. Okay. Everybody's like, what? <laughs> Sorry. If you want to, you can't have it both ways. If you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. You can't avoid it. So stop trying. It'll come. But you can't force it to happen either. It's not like I'm sitting here going, persecute me, persecute me, persecute me. I'm here. You know, like a weather vane, you know. <laughs> hit me, hit me. That's kick, not the point. Kick me on my back. Yeah, kick me on my back. I want you to prove that I'm godly. Kick me, you know. <laughs> no, that's not in your place. That's not your place. That's in God's realm. That's God's realm, what he allows. Our responsibility is simply to desire it. And then how does it happen? By setting our mind on things above. And then once the spirit is producing that fruit, you then act on it. You don't just let love just be a, a feeling. You understand that, right? That's why in John, he says, you, your stomach turns over because you see your brother that has lack of this worldly goods. They're lacking food. And your stomach turns over because of love. 
But you do nothing. You say, be well. No, you should act on it. If you're having, if you've done so much that you've set your mind on, you desire to be godly, and you set your mind on things above using the correct methodology, and then that attitude is produced by the Holy Spirit, now you're going to ignore it? Now you're going to quench it? Now you're going to say no to the Holy Spirit? No, act on it. Act on it. Okay? That's the outworking of that. Not just desiring to be godly, but actually being godly. The outworking of who you are in Christ is you being a child of God down here, living out the nature of your Father, your Heavenly Father. Not this sin nature from your Father, but this new nature from your Heavenly Father. That's thou, that's godliness. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our position in Christ. We thank you for these things. We just don't get tired of this information. We just don't get tired of this information. I once heard it said that those that teach on something over and over is because they have a problem with it. And if that's the case, so be it. I'll wear that shoe. Because the more I focus on these things, maybe I will do them more often. And so, Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for, you, for your love and mercy to us. And we ask that even this day we would recognize you working in our lives. Okay, I got a question for you. Maybe somebody else does. But just wondering in that last section where you're talking about all those who want to live godly in Christ Jesus self persecution. Jim went over this recently, but this is the question I have is do you think that persecution, and maybe I missed it when I was writing the note down, is that persecution sometimes or oftentimes from those who have that form of godliness back up in the context? Do you think there's sometimes the very root or cause of that? Definitely. And I would go back to Galatians on that with the with the, 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 is it children or sons of the free woman are persecuted by those of the bond woman. And, you know, often it's, sometimes it's even Christians. Not necessarily the same people, carnal that persecute the spiritual. And uh, that's shocking when you find that out. But when you go through it, it can be devastating if you don't realize it's coming. But once you realize it's coming, you're prepared for it. We're born to suffer. Sometimes that's in the form of persecution. I, and, I, and yes, we in, a, in our world, we often downplay persecution in the sense that yeah, we're not being put in gulags and we're not getting put in some Chinese labor camp and we're not putting, putting, being put in prison for our faith. But there's, there's, there's more persecution than that. Okay. And I can see, you can see what's going on in this world today in, in the United States. It could be right around the corner where we have more out in front of you kind of persecution against the Christian and religion in general, all religion, okay? But maybe Christianity too, or even more so, I don't know. But whatever it is, there's no sense in fretting about it. Remember, what did we read in Ephesians? Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's in charge, but who's above him? God, God's in charge of it. And when is the rapture? Is it changing one bit? No, it's already set. It's already set. When it's time for us to go, we go. Until then, we wait for him. Well, I, I, my thought was, I, 
unfortunately, back on Facebook. <laughs> and I was looking at some posts of people I've known for a long time and thought they were Christians, Santa Christians. Um, that it, it's, it's not always the opposite of subtle <laughs> words. Not. Anyway, what I see now is subtle in the form of like this one person was posting about as a Christian directed to Christians, all of you that say that you know, but but you know, God is still in control and all of this stuff. Um, you're not paying attention to the politics of the time. And, and so the way it was worded, it was persecution of Christians from a Christian because they don't agree with the idea that God is in other people. Ultimately, so, it sounds to me like what they're saying is we're supposed to change the world. Yeah. You know, and it's like, but it was, it was a subtle kind of persecution of who don't believe exactly what you're supposed to do. So sometimes it's not a very direct persecution. Yeah. And I'm thankful I'm not being put in a labor camp. I'm thankful, you know, I'm not saying I want that. I'm not saying, but to deny that there's other levels of persecution, there it is. I'm not Polycarp. God hasn't called me to be martyred to death. I know of. So. Thank you.